Changing the bulletin a little more today. The only thing constant is change. Instead of a solo, I have a video I want you to watch about the love of Jesus. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I come from a small village. And like most small villages, nothing exciting ever really happens here. Everyone knows everyone else's business. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, how they like to remember the ugly. So, when I met this Jewish man by the well one day, it proved to be the biggest news this town has ever known. It was around noon, and I went to the well on the outskirts of town. No one ever goes out at this hour, and that's why I was surprised to see this man sitting there. Now, I never expected him to speak to me, let alone ask me for a drink of water. Everyone knows that Jews don't associate with Samaritans. But there was something different about this man. Oh, his looks were common enough, but his eyes captured me. They sparkled like crystal clear pools of water, so pure that I found myself looking deeply into them and was taken aback when I saw my own reflection. I have never seen myself in someone else's eyes before. Just then, the man spoke. If you knew the gift God has for you, and who it is that is speaking to you, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Everyone who drinks this water, he said, will be thirsty again and again. And anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst again. The water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I asked him, please, sir, won't you give me some of this water so I don't have to keep coming back to this well day after day? And do you know what he told me? Go get your husband and come back. I have no And he said he knew that already. He knew all about me. He knew me. He knew my past. And my present. He knew me. And I knew there was no place to hide. His eyes were fixed on mine. And this time, 
the mirror in his eyes revealed just how thirsty I really was. So I quickly changed subjects. I noticed his gift of prophecy and I pointed out to him that our ancestors worshiped God here on this mountain. Why do the Jews insist on worshiping in Jerusalem? And again, his answer startled me. The time is coming, he said, and in fact, already come, when what you are called will not matter. It's who you are and how you live your life before God that counts. I had never heard anything like that before. But I told him that when the Messiah comes, he will explain everything to us. And that's when time seemed to stand still. For the man that I was speaking with introduced himself to me. He was the Messiah. I was speaking with the Messiah. I realized that what I needed wasn't found in the well. What I needed was found in the Messiah. My cup overflows now because I took the living water that Jesus offered me. Gone is my guilt. Gone is my shame. The old is gone and the new has come. I am not known now by my past, but for my faith. In Jesus Christ, he knows me. He knows my name. He knows all about me. And he loves me anyway. And that's all I'll ever need. Powerful, isn't it? That last line, he knows me, he knows my name, and he loves me, and that's all I ever need. I'm going to have a word of prayer in just a minute. Before we do, I want to make a connection between that and our study of Esther. Those of you studying Esther, just recently we learned about the, the people of Israel being carried away into exile. If you remember, she talked about Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. And where that came from is uh, the northern kingdom above Judah was carried off into exile first. And the king that did that would take the better of the people, the ones they considered better, away to their land and they would bring in people and they would intermix the cultures. 
So the Jews, because of that, considered the people that lived in the northern kingdom, then called the Samaritans uh, half-breeds, unpure blood, and that's why they wouldn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. And that uh, dates back. We, we read that about in Esther. But that points out another thing about Jesus. Jesus wasn't concerned with pure bloodedness. He loved everybody and he loved her and he loves you regardless. Let's have a word of prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. Lord, we don't know how good you are to us. We don't know the times that you had a wayward car move out of our way or you protected us or you provided for us through someone we know some of them, but we don't know all of it, Lord. You're ever watching over us, caring for us, leading us, trying to lead us. So, Father, we ask, we thank you first, but then we ask that you would open our hearts to your message today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in the book of Ruth. I'm going to read chapter 1. It's not a real long chapter. You read along with me. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Moab was across the Jordan River to the east of, Ju of Judah. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's son, husband, excuse me, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malan and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons or her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, meaning in Judah, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return to your home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? who could become your husbands, return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to two sons, would you wait till they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. 
But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. We can look back, this was several thousand years ago in a different culture. And we can be critical of that culture. It was very patriarchal. But it was a very real time and we need to understand what these ladies faced. It was very necessary to have a husband, to have a a man to take care of you. That was your protection. That was your provision. And today our women are much more free to be independent. A lot of that happened in World War II when so many men went to battle and ladies ended up building planes and doing everything the men had done here. And that that started a new uh, direction for our culture. But back here it was much different. As Naomi said... She was, of course, older now. She'd had sons. They had had become adult. They had lived 10 years after her husband passed, so she was fairly advanced in age. And the two girls with her may have married in their teens. They did that, but they had been with her for 10 years, so they were definitely in their 20s or 30s. And now they find themselves without the protection of a home of the men to take care of them. And Naomi especially would have been undesirable, as she refers to here, to be married again because she'd have been another mouth to feed, another person to take care of, and she couldn't bear her husband's children, which unfortunately was one of their values in those days, their only values. And even Ruth and Orpha, who did go back home, had been married. They, all kinds of different ideas run around. But one thing, when they went back to Judah, they would have been foreigners from the land of Moab. And a, a good Jew would have wanted to marry another Jew. So they had a lot of, of challenges, a lot of struggle that they had to face. And they very likely could have felt very unloved and unlovely. Later we learn that Ruth was a very beautiful woman, later in the book. But as I said, she had some things some would hold against her. And there was always the risk that if a man did take interest in them, it was not for noble purposes. It it was for other things. So it was a very tough time in that culture. And they had every reason to feel less and to worry about what they were going to do. But I want to make a point here in the story, and and, and I'll line it out. You should be familiar with it. 
Ruth goes out into the fields to glean the grain. She doesn't have a right to be there, so she goes and she picks up what the ones taken in the harvest would drop and leave behind, trying to get some food for her mother-in-law and her. Boaz noticed her, the owner of the field, was taken by her, and he tells his field workers to actually leave a little less, to not chase her off, to not harass her, and to let her glean some of the grain so that they could make bread. Ruth tells Naomi that Boaz had taken interest in her, and so she tells her what to do in order to uh, get Boaz's attention. And again, it seems strange to us because she was to go into Boaz after he was asleep and lay at his feet. And I don't know what was supposed to happen. I guess what was supposed to happen happened. Boaz woke up. Here's a young woman at his feet. Would have been a surprise to him. He says, who are you? She tells him, I'm Ruth. And then it turns out that Boaz was what was called a kinsman redeemer. And in their culture, again, whenever a woman faced this challenge of not having a husband, one of the kinsmen of that husband was expected to take them in and to care for them. And one of the things I want to make a point there is, is they, we have, as we're reading this patriarchal society, and the women are vulnerable without someone to care for them, but God led the Jews to have this procedure of the kinsman redeemer. Throughout God's word, he is watching over the women. He cares for them. He teaches to watch out uh, for them, to be honest towards them. And even Jesus talked about it when it came into divorce that again in that culture, if the man just became disinterested, he could cast her off. Leave her out on her own. But God, through His Servant Moses and the teachings, again, provided a right way to do that, to stop that kind of abuse. Jesus said, pure and undefiled religion is this, that one would care for widows and orphans in distress. And so we read the culture, and to me that's one of the things exciting about the Bible, because it doesn't sugarcoat things. It doesn't try to make it sound like that uh, everything was done according to Hoyle, that old phrase. But it, it shows us the unvarnished truth about how the culture was in that day. And that doesn't mean that that was God's desire. It doesn't mean that's what God wanted. And we do see God's hand in providing justice for the downtrodden and care for those in trouble. And so we have this picture of the kinsman redeemer, and it's a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ who became our kinsman redeemer. We didn't know before we accepted Him as 
our Savior. We probably really don't still know how much He does for us. We didn't know how much we needed Him. We didn't know how vulnerable we were. We didn't know that we were slaves to the enemy, to Satan, who sought our destruction and who wanted to defy God and take over heaven. And so Jesus came as that kinsman redeemer to redeem us from that life, to redeem us from that struggle, to make the payment that was necessary for us to have eternal life. And so in this passage, we have that foreshadowing of Jesus Christ coming. And we can read through Scripture many other times that the Bible and God stood up for women who felt unloved and unlovely. The truth being told, when we think of loveliness, we think of women. You are lovely to us. And we like you being lovely. But men have some of the same struggles too. We want to be liked. We want to be appreciated. We may not think so much about our appearance, though some do. But it's important to us, even though we act tough and strong and nothing bothers us. The truth is, all of us desire to be loved. And that is, again, not a romantic love, though we desire that, but more just the love of us as a person. And I, I think a better word for that kind of love is acceptance. Most of us, except the very narcissistic, understand we've got a few too many pounds, we've lost a few too many hairs, or they've turned gray, or we have some other ways that kind of make us unlovely. Maybe we know we need to change them. For whatever reason, we don't. But what we seek is acceptance. And acceptance is not saying you're right. It's not saying you're perfectly okay. It just means I receive you as you are. I accept you as a friend. And as a friend, I know your, your warts. I know your troubles. But I still like you. I still love you. I accept you. And that's what so many people are looking for, out there in the world especially. There is so much shaming, is the, the kind of the current term for it. There is so much that puts other people down. There are too many who wish, who think they're building themselves up by putting everybody else down, by making themselves more than they really are over someone else. And so we all face that in various ways. Uh, the young think the seniors don't have anything to offer. The thin and beautiful think those with some extra pounds uh, should just change, just fix it. And on and on it goes. And while we can know inside of the changes we ought to address, what we long for is accept me. I'm a person of value. I think. I can do. I have abilities. I care. I love. I hurt when you come against me. And so we all face that. And, 
and hopefully we have that less within the church, although it still does take place. We're all humans. We're not perfect. We, we still struggle to treat each other the way we should. Hopefully we're growing in that. But it, the church certainly needs to be a place where people can come and it's safe. And they don't feel shamed or judged. Yes, we have to point out right and wrong, but that is not necessarily a shaming thing. It's just acknowledging and then working to fix it. It's coming alongside and say, I see you have this problem. I want to help. Or I just want to uh, uh, be there for you, to hug you if that's appropriate, and, and just ex- show acceptance and love. And that's what Jesus teaches us through this whole word, that even though we feel unloved and unlovely, first of all, we have a Father in heaven who loves us more than we can ask or think, who did give up his life on our behalf, who is preparing a place for us in heaven, who is within us through the person of the Holy Spirit ready to teach us, to guide us, to help us, and to help us help others. He has loved us more than we can ever imagine. He loves us just like the woman said, even though Jesus knew she didn't have a husband. And if my memory serves, he says, in fact, you've had seven husbands. So he knew her lifestyle. That wasn't the most important thing to Jesus. That didn't take her off his list. He knew, in fact, she needed him perhaps even more than others in some fashion. And so he proclaimed to her about him being the Messiah. And we know through the rest of the story that the whole town was saved by her testimony and by Jesus stopping at a well in a country his people thought he shouldn't be in, but he had an eternally set destiny to meet her. You have a destiny with Jesus Christ. He has set a time to speak to you, to talk to you. Some of you have recognized that time and you've accepted Him as your Savior and Lord. And you're working, living for Him these days. Some still need to acknowledge that. Some need to reevaluate, see where they are before Jesus. I've asked you several times as your pastor, you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God. But then I say, do you believe God? We can believe in Him that He as the Supreme Creator exists, but do we believe what he has said in here for us as to how we should live. That's a difference. And we can argue with what he says or we can just disregard it. And we're obviously not believing him when he says something. And part of that can be that he's just saying, I know who you are. 
I know your name. I know your past. I still love you, and I want a relationship with you. And we have his promise that's difficult for us to believe sometimes that when we accept that love from him, he says our sins from him are as far as the east is from the west, that he remembers them no more, that, and, that, that, and a blessed song made out of it, we are made whiter than snow, no longer blemished, no longer stained, in the eyes before our heavenly Father. So each one of us have those times we feel unloved and we feel unlovely as part of our human nature, but we have a kinsman redeemer who loves us anyway and who wants to love us more if we'll let down that guard a little bit, that will trust what he says and in that trusting obey and follow him. Glorious story of Ruth. Ruth, it ends up, became the great-grandmother of King David. And Ruth is one of those that her line and is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, along with another woman, Rahab. Rahab the prostitute that helped the spies as they were seeking out Canaan. And God honored her by including her in the genealogy of Jesus, of David. God is, is amazing, and if we can get over ourselves a little bit, we can understand that. We're going to have our song of invitation, Oh, How He Loves You and Me, a simple chorus. And in that, I'm going to count on you to sing rather than me lead. I'm going to be at the front like I usually am. And this is a time of invitation, a time to become part of our family. We're not a perfect family, but we love each other as family, and we're regrowing a church here. We're reestablishing the church at Campbellsburg Baptist Church, and we would be honored for you to choose to unite with us. And so this is one time you can do that. You can talk to me another time. But let's stand as we sing, Oh, how he loves you and me, and I'll be here to receive you if you wish to come.
simple words, but very truthful words. In closing, I had a couple of comments for you real quick. One, we have a friend of our church who is in pretty urgent need of a vehicle. Doesn't have to be a fancy one. Needs to be reliable. If you think you can help, if God says something to you, let me know, and we'll see if we can help that one. Also, I've been asking you to think about the one, the one that you can pray for, your hardest burden for, that they would come to know Jesus Christ. In coming days, because some have shared with me, we're going to hear about God responding to those prayers and bringing the one to Him. And then as we go into our scripture that we've been reading the end of each service, I'll remind you to pay attention to the second verse of that because it reminds us as Jesus looked upon the people, he had compassion because they were helpless and harassed. And he says, pray for workers of the harvest. We have a message. Let's read. Ready? Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's have our closing prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the words today you've given us. We thank you for loving us as we are. We thank you for sending us Brother Wes and Susan, showing your love for us that way. We ask that you will help us to, to see how much you do love us and to accept that and to spread your love to others. We pray for the Gary Gosser family as they go through the loss of the loved one. Pray that you will comfort them. Now we pray that you'll go with us throughout this day and the rest of this week. Help us to be a light. In your name we pray, amen.